Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, we'd love to get to know you and just help you connect to our church. Uh, out in the courtyard, there's a welcome center. We'd love to meet with you and just give you a gift and help you know who we are and what's going on. And so uh, we look forward to connecting you in that way. Also, just uh, one announcement with two parts. Um, June 11th, we're going to have what's called our family business meeting. Uh, where we'll go over just what's going on in the church. Everyone's invited, only um, members vote. Um, two things to keep in mind so you're aware is one, um, one of our elders will be reaffirming for a second term. Uh, that's Joe Appleton. He's our current chairman. And so uh, at LBC, you serve in uh, terms of three years. And so he's completed his first and uh, voting for his second. Uh, for those who don't know him, his bio is in the back. You can read about his family and his journey, and you can come and learn. Uh, and then for those who do know, you can be a part of affirming um, and continuing his leadership in our church here. Uh, the second piece is that the elders are formally introducing or proposing uh, a pastoral candidate for the uh, position of family pastor, and that is Chris Moore. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. If you guys don't know Chris, uh, he recently graduated from uh, Liberty with his Master's of Divinity. Um, he's been here about six years, and it's been just a time of watching um, that God has called him for this, that God has gifted him, and uh, transitioning him from Chevron to here. Some of you would think that's crazy. I think it's glorious. It's awesome. Uh, just to see what God is doing and uh, to see him fulfill that work. And so if you don't know Chris, his bio is in the back. Um, I just encourage you to ask questions and get to know him. Uh, if you don't, and just as uh, kind of understanding the fullness of what's happening, a, a pastor at our church means you sit on the board with the elders, and it's part of overseeing the whole church. So it's looking forward, it's meeting the needs, it's teaching and feeding the sheep. Um, as a director, you, you really focus in on a piece of the pie, so to speak. And as a pastor, you look at the whole piece and over doing that. And as you can see, our church is growing. Yes, this is exciting as you probably had to walk far or, you know, you had a hard time finding parking. And so we're blessed to have that issue. And part of that's providing more oversight to love and feed the people, God's word and, and lift up Christ. Amen. And so uh, we're excited for that. Make sure you mark your calendar. So here we go. We're in Matthew, and we're continuing on. And here's what I don't want to do. Um, it's easy to preach this sermon and just look at this text as singular or topical. It's a really fun topical message. Uh, but uh, what I mean by that is it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen outside of one continuous story of the book of Matthew. And so it's important that we see what, what are all the pieces happening here. Uh, so if you really want this to pop and connect, I encourage you to start writing. I'm going to move fast, but my, my goal is that it would really settle and be like, oh, this makes so much sense. So we know there's four Gospels. They each have maybe a different emphasis telling the same story. Part of Matthew is he's Jewish, and he's writing to a Jewish audience, and he wants them to understand that Christ is the King, Messiah, and Savior of the Old Testament. He's the promised one. He's the promised one from Genesis 3 that through the seed of the woman, um, a man would come and conquer and crush the snake. So from the Old Testament, from Genesis 3 on, they're looking for that promise. And then God progresses how that promise will unfold. Abraham's told he's going to have many people and he's going to be given a land. 
And they're told they're going to be given a king to rule that land. And they'll be given a savior to take away the sins of the people. So you look through the Old Testament. They're waiting for this king to come. So Matthew says, Jesus is this king. Look at his lineage. He is of Abraham. He is of David. And then also he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, where he was born, what happens to him when he's born. John the Baptist uh, attests, here's the lamb to take away the sins of the world. So the first few parts of Matthew is saying Jesus is the promised king. He's the one you've been waiting for. Here are his credentials. Then it shifts into the Sermon on the Mount. Here's how you live as a citizen in that kingdom. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do it. Here's what matters. Here's what's important. You've heard this, but I tell you this. And then he establishes this king has power over everything. He has power over nature. He has the ability to give, forgive sin. He has the ability to heal disease. He has the ability to know what you're thinking. He is a sovereign, all-powerful king. And now what we're gonna do is transition to see that this king has a kingdom, but who gets to be a part of the kingdom? That's what Jesus is gonna focus in on here. And I want you to see that the people who are invited to be a citizen of heaven are the sick people, people who know they are sick. And that's gonna be revolutionary for what this audience is hearing because they have a totally different picture in mind. And so to kind of help us think through that, uh, I don't know, this is sometimes controversial, but hopefully, hopefully it's not, is... Uh, have you guys ever seen a doctor before? I don't want to violate HIPAA or anything, but right, like you've seen a doctor, right? And usually there's some type of requirement in your life that says, at this point, I will go see a doctor. If you're over 50, usually you got to have a bone sticking out and profusely bleeding. You've already tried rubbing dirt on it. It didn't work. So against all odds, you're at the doctor. My generation, if you sneeze twice, you're probably at the doctor. You're like, something's wrong. It's not working. It shouldn't be like this. We can laugh, okay? You might fall on a different side, but generally that's there. Um, but here, here's the thing. Whether you're, you're quick to go or you're slow to go, when you eventually arrive at the doctor, the one thing we all have in common is that we have officially said that I cannot fix this and I need someone's help who can. I need someone who's smarter than me, who has authority, has the tools and the ability to fix what I cannot fix. And that's what Jesus is hitting at in the heart of this. And so as you think through that physically, now I invite you to ask that question spiritually. At what point do I say I'm broken and I need help? Something's wrong with me and I need help. Because it is through that process that Jesus says, you get to become a citizen of heaven. You get a seat at the table. You get to be a child of God. And so as you think through that, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna go right into our text. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you invite us to know who you are and what you've done. Uh, you invite us to, to have a relationship with you through the work of Jesus, uh, that we can become sons and daughters and we can become children and we can... Uh, be citizens of heaven. And so we just thank you for that invitation. I pray that we would grow close. Our hearts would love you, want to know more about you, that we would fall in love with you and that your words would encourage us and challenge us to love you more. And we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna essentially look at kind of three keys 
to be in this relationship with King Jesus. Uh, we're gonna look at there's fellowship, there's celebration, and there's anticipation or to anticipate. So the first thing you see is that there's a command in this relationship to follow, right? Verse nine, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And so why is this important? Uh, to be a citizen of heaven, to be in the kingdom, there's this requirement that we would follow Jesus. And as you see the disciples, this following is not always pretty and it's not always easy. Um, first thing to see is that it's of great cost. Notice that, that the fishermen, Jesus calls in the beginning of the gospel, they have to give up their trade and their ability to earn money and now go on these journeys with Jesus. Matthew, he ups the game. He's a tax collector. He's making good money. He gives it up and he follows Jesus. So there's a cost. And then we've also learned that sometimes following Jesus brings you right into the middle of a storm. We've learned that sometimes following Jesus brings you right into the middle of people hating you, not liking you, losing family relationships, losing friendships. Over and over again in the gospels, you see kind of the disciples going like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're making this so hard and so complicated. There's a cost to following Jesus. And the people who sit at the table with Christ, who are part of his kingdom, are those that have said, there is no cost I will not pay. There's nothing better than following Jesus. I will get up and leave and I will follow Christ. Now, the people who have decided to follow Jesus, they have a commonality within them, okay? Let's read and see what this commonality is. Verse 10, it says, Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. So who are the people that follow? The people who know they are sick. Well, why is that? Well, hopefully, think about it. If you don't think you need to see a doctor, do you go see the doctor? If you have a scrape on your knee, your, your, your thought is, I can probably clean that with peroxide and put a Band-Aid on it and I'll be just fine. So if you spiritually see yourself in that light, I'm generally fine. There's some things I could fix, but I mean, I'm fine. You're not gonna go to the great physician and say, I need to be healed. But if you see yourself, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, that you are dead in sin, like there's no way I can fix dead, which is interesting. You're like, why would you say that? The next sermon, who does Jesus heal? A dead person. Anyways, I don't wanna jump ahead, but think through that. So do you see yourself as beyond repair? Meaning I lack the tools, skills, and ability to fix this. Therefore, I have to follow Jesus, the great physician, because he's the only one who can fix me. Because generally speaking, I, I, would, I would think if you had cancer, you would not say to yourself, you know what? I got a butter knife and Google, I'll be fine. I can figure this out. I don't need to, at some point, there's an illness that's so great, you say, I have to go to a professional. And what Jesus is saying, the people who are with me are those that know they need a professional. They know that they cannot do it in and of themselves. 
And so the people who will get to be a part of the kingdom are those who are following Christ with the understanding that they're completely and utterly helpless without Jesus, the great physician. Now, what else we recognize about this is that everyone is helpless and needs Jesus. And Jesus is hitting every kind of person throughout the gospel. He goes to the fishermen, who, who is, we're, we're not picking on the fishermen, but it's important to understand that the fisherman was not in rabbinic school studying to be a rabbi. They had already failed that path. So they're doing their father's trade, blue collar, hardworking, right? We know he goes to Samaria, to the Samaritans, the rejected, the ethnically hated in opposition. He goes to the women who weren't viewed as equals. And now he's going to catch this, the white collar. He's going to the white collar rich guy. See, I think when we read this passage, we assume some things that there's poor people and maybe some prostitutes and like some drugs going on. And Jesus is at like a crack house eating with them. But when you read the passage and you read verse 10, it says he reclined at the table in a house with who? Many tax collectors. He's eating with the rich dude and all his friends. And worse than that, he's eating with someone they would despise and view as a traitor. Why is that? We've got to think through this a little bit. Is that Israel was promised a land and they had a land. And Rome comes and conquers that land. And they tell them how to live and how to think and how to use their money and how to operate their religion. And you look in this passage, it says that they saw Matthew sitting in a what? A tax booth. So I want you to imagine this. All of a sudden, California has been taken over by Russia and they have stuck booths around our city. And every time you leave and you come back to your own hometown, you're greeted by a fellow American from Bakersfield that is gonna charge you to come back to your homeland and live in your home property He's going to charge you to come back and forth. And then you see that guy who's charging you, sitting in your city, eating with your pastor. And all of a sudden you're like, is our pastor in on this? How could he eat with someone who would be a part of the organization or the people or the nation that's taking away our money? And he's probably taking it for himself. This is the reputation of the tax collector that he'd be like, okay, Rome, here's your chunk and here's mine. And as long as Rome got their money, they didn't really care what the tax collector did. So this tax collector is a traitor. He's greedy. And now they see him eating with Jesus. It's like, is Jesus in on this? And so Jesus is literally communicating through this that your social status, your sin past, your ethnic group, none of this matters. What matters is that you know you're sick and you need a savior. That's what gets you a seat at the table. This is why he says to them, I came to heal the sinners, not the righteous. See what? The righteous think they're in right relationship with Jesus. And so he's saying these people are here because they know they're not right with God and they can't get right with God without Jesus, the great physician, signing off, paying for them, 
giving them a new identity as a citizen of heaven, giving them a new father and a heavenly father and God the Father. And so it's saying this is what it means to follow Jesus. The last part I want you to catch in all of this is that you cannot follow Jesus and not be changed. Through every encounter in the gospel, what are you seeing consistently? Does does the blind man stay blind? Does the cripple stay crippled? When they encounter Jesus, they are utterly different and changed. And so the unrepentant become repentant. They change in their status. They change in their standing. The people who are unforgiven are forgiven. The people who are full of sorrow have joy. The people who have angst and worry have peace. The people who are lonely and rejected have family and support. The people who are worthless have worth and dignity. The people who are crooked now have integrity and honesty because they have met the great physician. And so what Jesus is doing is he's turning this upside down and he's saying, you guys aren't here because you think you're right with God and you're not. They're here because they know they're not and they need to be. This is what it means to follow Jesus. I know I'm sick. I know I'm sick and the only one who can fix it is Christ. So Jesus tells them, you know what you need to do? You need to learn Hosea 6.6. I want you to watch this. He says, go and learn what this means. Now catch this. What, what is a Pharisee? Think about this. What are they skilled in? The Old Testament. They know the Old Testament thoroughly and completely. They teach it. They hold people against it. So imagine going to your doctor and you're like, do you know what an antibiotic is? You should go and learn what that is. You've gone to the expert and said, you're not an expert. So Jesus says, go and learn what this means because obviously you don't. He quotes Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, people who think they're right with God, but the sinners, people who know they've broken that relationship with God. He says, you guys have it completely wrong. You don't understand Hosea. Why, what's going on in Hosea? Well, it's fascinating. You read through it. I don't have time to walk through the whole book. But essentially, what Hosea is getting at is you guys have all this religion. You have all these practices. And you're giving all these offerings. And they're worthless because your actions are not met with a heart that is faithful and loves God. This is why the Sermon on the Mount says, you have heard it said. And he's saying, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? You don't love the Father. You have to love the Father. Hosea is saying, you are faithless. You've committed adultery against God. And Gomer, Hosea's wife, is the image of Israel, this adulterous, wicked, faithless woman. And Hosea, out of mercy and grace, purchases her to be his wife and is faithful to her through her infidelity. He's saying, you missed it, Pharisee. You are the adulteress. You are the adulteress. You have no idea the grace and mercy that God, the husband, has bestowed upon you. You think you're faithful and you're faithless. God is showing mercy. And if you 
would understand that you would treat these people with mercy. You would have compassion. You would love them. You would understand that God doesn't need you to look at all the bad things you've done and then see what are all the good things I can do to balance them out. That's a business relationship. This is a marriage and you've committed adultery and God's the faithful one and you need to be grateful. These people are grateful. You've misunderstood what it means to have a relationship with God. You thought you could earn it. You thought you could do it, but you can't. You see, what the Pharisees have done is they don't think they need a physician. What have they done? They've created their own system and said, look at how great we are. Look at how righteous, right? These are all the things we do. This is why the question of fasting comes up. This is why it transitions. They don't understand So it says, and this is fascinating. This isn't just the Pharisees now. These are the disciples of John. And they say in verse 14, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They get to sit at the table with Jesus and we don't, but we fast. You guys are feasting. You're celebrating. You're eating. How how can this be? See, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see you're only supposed to fast one day a year. That's the day of atonement. Because the purpose of fasting was to focus in on the great work of the Messiah. That there would be one who would come and take away the sins of the world. That's the Abrahamic promise that he will send the one to take away the sins. He will provide the sacrifice. This is why John the Baptist says, Behold the lamb to take away the sins of the world. And so you're walking through this. He's saying, you guys don't understand. And they're saying, but we fast three times a week. We're more holy. And Jesus progresses and says, well, then you don't understand what the purpose of fasting is. Again, you guys have created your own system. And by your own standards, you're right with God and you're not. Because the purpose of fasting goes into 15. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding, yes, mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, why? The wedding language. Notice Hosea, wedding language, marriage language. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God is presented as the husband, and Israel is presented as the unfaithful wife. In the New Testament, Jesus is presented as the husband and the unfaithful church. But Jesus purchases the church and proposes in marriage. And he's saying, look, the groom is here. You've been purchased. And when the groom is here, you celebrate. You celebrate. You absolutely celebrate. So this moves us to our second point. To have a relationship with Jesus, you celebrate his work and his role. There are many roles and work he shares through the gospel. He first shares he's king. He's in charge. He's the moral law giver. He gives the moral law through the Sermon on the Mount. He's the savior. He's the miracle worker. He is the perfect man. He is the second Adam. He is fully God, fully man. He is the one from the Old Testament. And here he is saying, I am the great physician. I am the one who has come to save you and purchase you and make you a part of my kingdom. And so here's the problem. You will not celebrate a work that you don't think you need. 
And there's a party because there's a doctor who says, I see your problem and I can fix you. You need to repent. In the Mark account, it adds repentance. You need to repent and follow. Jesus, I will do the work. You need to respond to the work. You need to accept the work. You need to admit you are dead in sin. You need me to be your savior. You need me to purchase you. You need me to make your payment. And then you can come and follow me. See what happens, they're not celebrating Christ because they don't think they need a physician. So here, here's, think about this. They agree there's a problem. This is why they obey the law. But they disagree on what the problem is. See, the Pharisees think, I just got to make things right. So they keep adding laws. Well, we'll fast three times a week and we'll um, only drink these things and we'll only eat these things and we'll only wear these garments and I can do all of these things and that will balance out my sin and that'll make it right. There is a problem, but the solution is I do all these things. And then they look and say, you're not doing all these things. You're going to hell. We're righteous. We're holy. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Here's what I mean. Um, when I was the high school pastor, I went to Mexico uh, with the high schoolers. And it was great. It was fun. And I came back and my shoulder was just killing me. And I thought to myself, oh man, I for sure like tore something in my shoulder. I couldn't move it. I couldn't lift it. And it hurt. So I went to one of my good friends. He's, you know, a trainer. I'm like, hey, something's wrong with my shoulder. And he's like, yeah. He checks it out and he goes, yeah, you have weak muscles. And I'm like, no, no. Like, you don't understand, bro. Like, I went, I like was banging hammers and lifting stuff. And like, I tore it on the name of the Lord, right? Doing his work. And you're like trying to ruin this. And he's like, no, man, you have weak muscles. I'm like, I'm going somewhere else, right? So I go to a physical therapist and I'm like, yeah, I think I tore it. You know, it's lifting heavy things. And she's looking at it and she's like, no, you have weak muscles. I'm like, no, this is not the narrative. And she's like, yeah, you probably slept on it wrong. And I'm like, no, no, that's worse. I'm not going to go tell people I hurt myself sleeping and now I have to, you know, get my muscles with a tennis ball with this old lady. Like, that's not the story, okay? We agreed that there was pain, but we wholeheartedly disagreed on the narrative and the cause. You see the problem there? So we come to Jesus and say, yeah, there's a problem. And he goes, yeah, you're right. There is a problem. You're a sinner. No, that's not the problem, Jesus. I was a middle child. I was an only child. Jesus, my personality test is a wing two, three. I'm a lion, a beaver, and an otter, all mixed in one, Jesus. You don't understand. That's the problem. No, 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 you're a sinner. Jesus, my spouse is terrible. Oh, the problem, you're a sinner. No, them, Jesus, they're the problem. I have a sickness, Jesus. It's why I can't pray. I'm poor, Jesus. No, no, no. You're a sinner. You need to change. So then what do we say? Jesus, give me that prescription pad. Here's the problem. I need more me time. I need to love myself more. I need to you be you. I need to celebrate me. And people need to affirm me. And then it's got Jesus' name on the bottom because we're not a doctor. And we hand it in and say, boom, there's my prescription. Done. Jesus approved. Jesus sealed. That's what the Pharisees are trying to do. See, I know there's a problem, but they disagree on what the problem fundamentally is. Jesus says the problem is you're not good enough. Problem is you're sinful, you're selfish, and you're greedy. And you need a payment for your sin. See, they look at the 
law of the Old Testament and they interpret it and use it for their own gain and say, see, look at all these things I do. He goes, no, 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 no. I didn't come to abolish the law. Look at Matthew 5. The purpose of the law was to show you you cannot fix yourself. Only Christ can be the payment you need to take away your sin. So that when you look at the Old Testament, you're seeing all the rules and the regulations and you get to this point when you're like, God, I can't do it. And he says, exactly. That's why Jesus comes. That's why John goes, behold the lamb. The sins are gonna be taken away. We don't have to do this anymore. So then you get to celebrate the great physician because he goes, I actually have the ability to take away your sin. Just you're gonna have to change. You're gonna have to turn away from your sin and you're gonna have to follow me. It means you're gonna change you spiritually. It's gonna change you emotionally. It's gonna change the way you parent. It's gonna change the way you're married. It's gonna change everything in your life. And saying those that who, who his followers are, they're the ones that celebrate. This is what Jesus is getting at with these last two metaphors. You can't take new wine and old wineskins What's the old wineskins? It's their interpretation of the law to position themselves of righteous. He's like, you can't mix the two. You can't have your rules, slap Jesus on it and call yourself saved. Doesn't work. Can't take the old garment, put it on the new garment and say, look, I fixed it. You need completely new garments that can only be provided by Christ, his righteousness, his robe. And it says that one day as the groom, he will present us, the church, as his bride, spotless before the Father in the great wedding, in the great union of us and him forever in heaven. This is why he says you mourn when the bridegroom leaves. Now you look at John 14, Jesus says, I'm gonna leave. We're gonna go and prepare a place for you. That's a Jewish wedding, that you would go to the Father's house and you would prepare a place for you and your bride to live. And Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And he's saying that, that during that time you fast because you miss being in relationship with Jesus. We see that they're enjoying Jesus at the table. It's not necessarily a sermon. It's not in a synagogue. It's in a house. And Jesus is reclining. They're enjoying fellowship with Jesus. And it says you celebrate in that fellowship. And it says then he'll leave and then they'll mourn. Why? They'll mourn because they miss Jesus. She's like, fasting isn't like, God, look at what I did. Now you owe me. It's like, no, no, no. I need to spend more intentional, focused time with God. So I'm going to fast and just focus on him. See, the fasting is relational. And he's saying, if he's right there, you don't need to do it. You celebrate. It's like you guys have completely missed what God requires. This is why the last point is you anticipate his return. See, the idea is that you've been united with Christ through the Holy Spirit. You've been purchased by his blood. You're a new creation. You are now a child of God, not a child of wrath. You've been purchased as the unfaithful wife to a faithful husband that's gonna love and adore and protect and keep you. You've gone from an unadopted, unloved child brought into and purchased by Christ 
for God to be your father. This is all New Testament language. And in that relationship, you say, I, I just, I can't wait for more. I can't wait for more. And that's what heaven is gonna be. It's gonna be perfection with Jesus. And saying you, you anticipate, you anticipate, you, this is why Jesus says, be ready. Be ready, because I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my bride. And when I come back, I'm gonna take you to be with me forever. All the sin will end, all the shame, all the disease, all the disappointment, all the rejection, all of it, they will end and you will go to me in heaven where my father is and you'll be there forever and ever and ever. So what does it look like to be ready and eager in that anticipation? Well, you're celebrating the relationship now, anticipating that it only gets better. See, in Philippians 1, uh, we see this in the heart of Paul, right? Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. You see that? That's the question for you this morning is do you believe that part, that it is far better? You've been purchased by Christ you have been united with Christ. You have sat at the table with Christ and there is no one you would rather sit with. There is no one you would rather be with than Jesus because that is what it is to anticipate his coming. Anticipate that the groom will come for his pride. See, but Paul understands he doesn't get to decide when. He's just, he's telling this Philippian church, I'd rather be with Jesus. That's so encouraging, right? He's like, you guys aren't really that great. I'd rather be with Jesus. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, if God has me here, that's fine. I will be faithful, but I'd rather be with Jesus. See, why would you rather be with Jesus? Because he's the first physician who's ever healed you. He's the first one who's ever completely loved you. He's the first one who's known you completely, loved you completely, and forgiven you completely. He's done everything you need. And you can't wait to be with him forever. See, these are the ones who get to follow and sit at the table because they know they're sick and they know they need a savior. Why is this so important? Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 is getting ready to send them out. He's gonna send them out into the world. And what do they need to know? that there is one physician and that physician is Jesus and only Jesus can make them right with God. Only he can be their payment. Only he can be their king. And before they could do that, they needed to sit and know who this king was. They needed to see him command nature, forgive sins, heal the sick. They needed to see his absolute authority, his absolute knowledge of the Old Testament, his knowledge of who God is, his authority over sin. Because the reality is when you meet a great doctor, you talk about it. Like, I don't know if that's true. I guarantee you right now, if I told you, man, my knee's really bothering me. I think something wrong. I would get at least 10 of you to go, Eric, I know a great knee doctor. You gotta see him right away. Guy changed my life. I walk better, I jump higher. And then on the other side of that, they would be like, don't go see this guy. He doesn't have filtered water. They don't have good gifts. The insurance a nightmare. He got the wrong diagnosis. Don't go, go here. Go here. It'll change your life. It'll get your knee right because you know the pain of seeing a bad doctor. 
You know the pain of being misdiagnosed. And you know the joy when something begins to work that didn't used to work. You see, we know this intuitively, physically, but do you know it spiritually? That Jesus is the only one who has the right prescription to heal you and make you whole and make you be who you were supposed to be, his child in relationship to him forever, in submission to his authority, in worship of his character and deity and role and function and worship of it all. See, but we get it backwards. We want to celebrate us, the great physician. I say, oh, no, 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 I know what I need. My friend had this problem. I know how to fix it. I just need more me time. I just need to focus on myself. I need to love myself more. I just need them to change and everything would be okay. And we celebrate us, the great physician. And then we stamp it with Jesus and go, see, Jesus approves. Jesus says, then you're not fit to be my follower because you don't think you need a doctor. You actually think you're fine. You just need to, you know, it's like filling out your own eval. And you're like, man, I'm guilty of working too hard, right? I need to have more balance in my life because I focus on other people too much. I'm a bad employee. Jesus is like, nope, you've completely misunderstood. You're dead in sin and you need a savior. The good news is, is that what we need, God provides in Christ. It would be bad news if there was no way to be with God, if there's no solution. He goes, no, there is a solution. But that solution requires you understanding you are utterly and completely incapable of making it right, and you need Christ. And he is to be that solution. He is to be that physician. He is to be that king. He is to be that authority. He is to be that one in your life whom you follow to the ends of the earth. And you are to anticipate him daily, saying there's nothing better than loving and following and worshiping Jesus. He healed me. You got to know who my doctor is. You got to know who my doctor is. All that self-help baloney didn't work. All those podcasts and tests and pop culture, it didn't work. It didn't work. It was like trying to cure cancer with a butter knife and Google. It doesn't work. Only Jesus. And so as you read through that and you think through that, here's some questions for us to ask ourselves. Okay, list the storyline of Matthew through the first nine chapters and what stands out so far. Hopefully what you see that stands out is that Jesus makes salvation to every type of person. The Samaritans, the wealthy, the poor, the uneducated, the men, the women, he makes salvation. What am I trying to say? Jesus can save anybody. He can save anybody. He is the great physician. There's no one beyond his ability to heal. And when you know that and you've experienced that, you will share that. That's gonna be Matthew chapter 10. Go out. Go out and share what Christ has done for you. Go out and share how Christ has changed you because you cannot meet Jesus and not be changed. Two, if Jesus were to ask you to drop everything right now and follow him like he did the disciples, what would be the hardest thing for you to let go? Because that's a part of having a relationship with Jesus is that you would 
speak the words of Paul. It is far better to be with Jesus. See, Paul lived very open-handed. He enjoyed, you know, the things of life, but at any moment he would give it all up and go be with Jesus because he knew it was better to be with Jesus. It was far better to be with Jesus. And so whatever it is that you would say, oh, no, 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 God, I can't, but this, oh, but God, I still have it, and God, I have it. How do you work through Christ and say, God, help me let that go. Help me die. Help me know that those things fail in comparison to you. So that if you ever called me, I'd be like Matthew, I'd be like Peter, I would just drop it and I would go. Three, how do you see yourself spiritually and how can you prevent yourself from becoming your own spiritual doctor? If you missed anything, answer that one. Because we love the self-prescribe. I see it all the time. Where are you going to the doctor? Oh, I have this. Oh yeah, how do you know that? Well, my friend told me. They have the same symptoms as I do. I Googled it. And this is a new symptom? Yeah, then how do you know? Well, because so-and-so told me, or I feel like. We love to self-prescribe. Why? Because we always put it in the best light. So how do you make sure that you go to God's word to see what Christ has prescribed as the solution to your problem? Because there's no relationship that he has not spoken about There is no circumstance that he has not spoken about, that he has not showed us how to be a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a daughter, a son, an employee, a citizen, a sick person, a healthy person, a person in suffering, a rich person. He tells every type of person how to be. Whatever you need, he's written it for you. So how can you make sure that you're finding that through Christ and not through yourself? Four, What have you learned about Jesus that grows your knowledge or love for him? See, this is the beauty of how you see the disciples. They still don't even fully understand who Christ is and what he's done. But the more they know him and the longer they follow him, the less you see them go, Jesus, why are you doing this? And and the more you see, kill me, I will not deny him. The Peter you meet in the beginning is not the Peter you see at the end when he's writing First and Second Peter. He is more in love. He is more committed. He is more obedient because he fully more and more understands who Christ is. He's the king that saved. He's savior and king, and he's coming back. Keeps his promises. Okay? Five, how can you be ready for Jesus' return at any moment? Because he is coming back. And as his children, as his bride, we want to be ready. We don't want to be in a position where, no, 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 Jesus, just wait. We've misunderstood Christ, and we've misunderstood how important the things on earth are. We need to be at a moment's notice. Take me, Jesus. But if you're going to leave me here, I trust you. That's the place we need to be because he is the great physician who has loved us and healed us and given us everything we need. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would uh, challenge us, you would teach us, you would unite us, you would equip us to be like your son Jesus, to be ready for his return, to know that he is the great physician, that he tells us what we need to do and we need to accept that embrace that, 
and live that to be a follower, be a citizen of heaven. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at, at LBC, we do communion two times a month. And um, it, it is something we practice symbolically for Christians, for believers. And so if, if you're not a Christian, you know, during this time, we would say, don't take this communion. Pray through what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Pray through what it means, you know, do you know you're a sinner that needs a savior, that, that you're sick and, and you need a doctor, and that doctor is Jesus. Pray through that. Look at the, the words that we're about to sing. If you're a Christian, great opportunity to take the bread, right? You want to get that first so you don't spill the juice. And then the juice, remember his body broken, right? His blood poured out for our sin. Our sins needed to be atoned for, paid for, and Christ did that. Without his payment, we wouldn't get a relationship with the Father because we would be in hostility as unrepentant, unpaid-for sinners. And so you get this opportunity to go before the Father through Christ by the Spirit and acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge here are the parts in me that don't love you, that don't want to listen to you, you can get into the fullness of your disease and sin, the evil thoughts you have, the thoughts you act on and the thoughts you don't act on. They're both sinful. To walk through the ways that you don't want to listen, the ways that you don't want to be obedient and ask Christ to heal that in your life and to change that in your life and ultimately to forgive you in that. Here's the beautiful thing about communion is there's nothing that you can ask that he cannot forgive. The beauty is that you come out of communion knowing you're fully known and fully loved, fully forgiven. That's why at the end of communion, we celebrate and we sing, we praise him, we're forgiven, we're loved, we're purchased, we're changed. We're not who we were. We were hopeless, and now we have hope. We were unloved, now we're loved perfectly. We were dead in our sin, now we're alive in Christ. We, have, we were an orphan, now we have a family, and we have a father, and we have a helper, and we have his instruction, we have his prescriptions. We have all these things in Christ. And communion, communion is part of remembering and celebrating that all of that is through and by the work of Christ on the cross. And so I'm going to pray, and you're going to take this in your own time, and the worship team is going to lead us in a time of celebrating the work of Jesus and the promises we have because of that payment on the cross, that heaven is our home, that the great healer has healed us and that he will come for his bride, the church, and we will be with him forever. Those are our promises that we will celebrate. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you that uh, he did what we couldn't, living the perfect life, dying the perfect death, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering evil, through the resurrection, through the payment and shedding of blood on the cross on our behalf, taking on the wrath of God, which was, should have been ours. And so we just pray for grateful hearts and thankful hearts that love you and trust you and praise you for the work of Jesus, the great physician who healed us and made us whole May we celebrate him and love him and trust him in his prescriptions for what is best for us to do. May we hold him and celebrate him 
for the change he has caused in our hearts and minds, that he has changed our eternal destiny. And he has loved us perfectly. May we celebrate him for that work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.